relationships and everything else, is thinking. Whether it's thinking disguised as intuition or as good values or as decision making or problem solving or creativity, it's all thinking. So it is not a surprise that thinking more effectively is the key to success for students, business leaders, artists, writers, politicians, and all of us living our everyday lives. Doing anything better requires effective thinking. That is, coming up with more imaginative ideas, facing complicated problems, finding new ways to solve them, becoming aware of hidden possibilities, and then taking action. What is a surprise is that the basic methods for thinking more clearly, more innovatively, more effectively, are fundamentally the same in all areas of life in school, in business, in the arts, in personal life, in sports, in everything. The other surprise is that those methods of effective thinking can be described, taught, and learned. They are not inborn gifts of a special few. They are not so esoteric that only geniuses can master them. All of us can learn them and use them, and that is what this audiobook is about. We, the authors, did not begin our careers with the goal of discovering strategies of effective thinking. We began our careers teaching the abstract ideas of mathematics. But over the years, we came to realize that what actually makes a difference are a few habits of thinking that people can apply in everyday life, methods that are not mathematical at all. This audiobook offers thought provoking ways to provoke thought. These strategies have inspired many people in all walks of life to become more successful, and we hope that you too will create success through effective thinking. Introduction Elements of Effective Thinking, Learning, and Creating I know quite certainly that I myself have no special talent. Curiosity, obsession, and dogged endurance, combined with self-criticism, have brought me to my ideas. Albert Einstein A wondrously romantic belief is that brilliant students are born brilliant and brilliant thinkers magically produce brilliant ideas. A plus, the star student aces the exam. Click. Edison invents the light bulb. Liftoff, the Wright brothers soar into the sky. Abracadabra, J.K. Rowling apparates Harry Potter. Yay, the founding fathers resolve the Bill of Rights. Whoosh, Ralph Lauren turns heads on fashion's runways. Eureka, Einstein jostles his hair and relativity falls out. We can all marvel at these fanciful visions of leaps of genius, but we should not be fooled into believing that they're reality. Brilliant students and brilliant innovators create their own victories by practicing habits of thinking that inevitably carry them step by step to works of greatness. No leaps are involved. A few basic strategies of thought can lead to effective learning, understanding, and innovation. More importantly, you yourself can master and apply those strategies. This audiobook presents practical, proven methods of effective thinking and creativity that lead to inevitable success in life. We, the authors, are teachers. We have taught hundreds of thousands of students and adults how to think more effectively. Countless times we have encountered individuals with potential and watched the drama of life's transformation unfold. Or not. Anne and Adam struggle with ideas, understand the basics, learn from mistakes, ask questions, and thrive. Fiona and Frank, with the same native talent, start at the same place, but they memorize without understanding fear error, avoid uncertainty, and do not succeed. This audiobook is about what makes the difference. Education does not stop with the end of your formal schooling. Whether you are currently in school or your formal school days are long past, you are still a student and, hopefully, will always be one. You can choose to learn habits of thought that will help you to meet the ongoing challenges of life, personal, professional, and societal. Imagine Marie Curie, Albert Einstein, and William Shakespeare as students. Today we know them as famous geniuses, but when they were in school, they didn't walk around wearing a future genius button. Instead, they just looked at the world differently by applying habits of mind that allowed them to discover and create new and profound ideas. While we can celebrate famous geniuses and be inspired by their remarkable stories, this audiobook is about you, a real person with strengths and weaknesses not a mythologized hero. Look down at your shirt. If you don't see a future genius button, then you too have the potential to innovate. Creativity is not a matter of magical inspiration. This audiobook describes habits that will automatically cause you to regularly produce new knowledge and insight. 
Remember, extraordinary people are just ordinary people who are thinking differently. And that could be you. Ordinary students can attain extraordinary heights. Mark was one of our mathematics students whose work at the beginning of the semester was truly dismal. He was so lost that his homework assignments were neither right nor wrong. They were simply nonsense. He merely recycled math terms that he wrote down during class discussions without even knowing their meaning. It was as if he were writing a poem in a language that he himself did not understand. Although he was genuinely dedicated, Mark appeared to be the textbook example of a lost cause. By the end of the semester, however, Mark had transformed himself into a different person, a person who was able to think about mathematics in clever and imaginative ways. As the term came to a close, he devised a creative and correct solution to a difficult, long-standing challenge that no one else in the class was able to resolve. At some point during the semester, Mark had the epiphany that mathematics had meaning and that he could make sense of it. He returned to the most basic ideas of the subject, ideas that he had seen years before but never truly grasped. He floundered when he viewed learning as memorizing techniques and repeating words. He succeeded when he sought to understand fundamental ideas deeply. With his new mindset, building up a solid understanding of the subject was relatively easy, and his success in the class was inevitable. The principles of understanding the unknown and finding creative insights that transformed Mark's life can be taught, learned, and applied broadly across disciplines and professions. We have seen these methods of thinking transform otherwise ordinary people into innovative leaders, authors, artists, financial gurus, teachers, film producers, scientists, and, in a number of cases, multi-millionaires. Education is what survives when what has been learned has been forgotten. B.F. Skinner Given that we, the authors, are professors, it is not surprising that many stories in this audiobook take place in classroom settings. However, we have also taught tens of thousands of lifelong learners. So when we offer illustrations from our school experiences, we hope that you will view them literally if you are in the classroom, either as a student or teacher, or metaphorically if you now find yourself outside of the ivy-covered walls of the academy. When Aesop wrote The Tortoise and the Hare, he was not aiming exclusively at the turtle market. Taking tests, earning grades, and understanding course material are actions that we face analogously throughout life. Instead of formal tests, we encounter challenges from employers or even family and friends. Instead of earning grades, we are judged in the workplace and in social settings. Instead of understanding course material, we regularly need to master new skills and absorb new knowledge to keep up with a rapidly changing world. All our stories have direct relevance to you and your life. Five Elements of Thinking and Learning the surprising fact is that just a few learnable strategies of thinking can make you more effective in the classroom, the boardroom, and the living room. You can personally choose to become more successful by adopting five learnable habits, which, in this audiobook, we not only explain in detail but also make concrete and practical. Here in this section, we briefly introduce those important habits to come. Understand deeply. Don't face complex issues head-on. First, understand simple ideas deeply. Clear the clutter and expose what is really important. Be brutally honest about what you know and don't know. Then see what's missing, identify the gaps, and fill them in. Let go of bias, prejudice, and preconceived notions. There are degrees to understanding. It's not just a yes or no proposition, and you can always heighten yours. Rock-solid understanding is the foundation for success. Make mistakes. Fail to succeed. Intentionally get it wrong to inevitably get it even more right. Mistakes are great teachers. They highlight unforeseen opportunities and holes in your understanding. They also show you which way to turn next, and they ignite your imagination. Raise questions. Constantly create questions to clarify and extend your understanding. What's the real question? Working on the wrong questions can waste a lifetime. Ideas are in the air. The right questions will bring them out and help you see connections that otherwise would have been invisible. Follow the flow of ideas. Look back to see where ideas came from and then look ahead to discover where those ideas may lead. A new idea is a beginning, not an end. Ideas are rare. Milk them. 
following the consequences of small ideas can result in big payoffs. These four building blocks are basic elements for effective thinking, and we devised an easy way for you to remember them. You only need to recall the classical elements that were once believed to comprise the essential parts of all nature and matter. Those elements, which predated Socrates and influenced Renaissance culture and thought, are earth, fire, air, and water. So to help trigger your memory and enable you to apply these techniques, we associate each classical element with one of our strategies for effective thinking, learning, and creating. Earth, understand deeply. Fire, make mistakes. Air, raise questions. Water, follow the flow of ideas. By mastering these strategies, you can and will change. The classical elements of nature included a fifth special element, the quintessential element, that was the changeless matter from which all the heavens were made. Ironically, here in our context of thinking and learning, the quintessential element is change. Change. The unchanging element is change. By mastering the first four elements, you can change the way you think and learn. You can always improve, grow, and extract more out of your education, yourself, and the way you live your life. Change is the universal constant that allows you to get the most out of living and learning. In any movie, play, or literary work, media scholars tell us how to determine who truly is the main character of the story. It's the individual who, by the end, has changed the most. Your life is an exciting journey. When you embrace change, you put yourself front and center by intentionally deciding in which direction you wish your life's drama to unfold. In doing so, you become the main hero in your own life's adventure. The chapters ahead unpack the previous soundbite sentences by more fully describing our five elements of effective thinking. Exercises, action items, illustrations, and stories in each chapter turn these elements into a practical way to vastly improve individuals and organizations. The elements and exercises provide you with an intellectual GPS to help you navigate through life. We have seen countless inspirational examples of people who flourish well beyond their own expectations. These stories feed our optimistic belief that we are all capable of living our lives far more successfully than we generally do. Our hope is that students will find these elements transformative. Instructors will use these lessons to enrich their classes. Leaders of society, whether in business, science, politics, or the arts, will employ these strategies to become more innovative. And lifelong learners will apply these principles to better live as ever-evolving students of the world. How to listen to this audiobook. Your challenge is to make these elements a part of your daily routine. We urge you to listen to this tiny audiobook carefully and then re-listen to it. In fact, we thought of literally repeating the entire text three times, making the audiobook three times as long. However, our publisher refused to embrace our innovative idea. Instead, we suggest three listenings as follows. First listen. Take it all in and don't mind the details. Throughout the audiobook, we provide exercises where we invite you to pause, look back, contemplate, and experiment. However, during your first listen, don't necessarily pause to attempt these exercises. Instead, get a global sense of the entire story we are telling. Second listen. Give it a test drive. Return to the beginning and carefully re-listen to the audiobook, this time stopping to think about and to apply the suggestions and exercises to your life. Third listen. Make it your own. You have now tried the exercises and reflected on the elements twice. In this third listen, work toward letting those methods become second nature. We encourage you to revisit chapters again and again. Different elements will resonate with you at different times. The more you absorb and practice these elements of thinking, the more you will get out of them. Earth. One. Grounding your thinking. Understand deeply. He never did a thing so very bad. He don't know why he isn't quite as good as anyone. From the Death of the Hired Man by Robert Frost. Silas felt the nervous excitement that all students feel as their professor returns graded midterms. When Silas saw the red fifty-eight percent on the top of his exam, he was frustrated, annoyed, and bewildered. I really knew the stuff on the test. I just made a bunch of stupid little mistakes. I really knew it, really. And he really believed he knew it, 
really. Sadly, such unpleasant surprises do not necessarily end after we receive our diplomas. Many people spend their entire careers confidently and erroneously thinking they know more and deserve more than their yearly evaluations, salaries, and success seem to reflect. Understanding is not a yes or no proposition. It's not an on or off switch. Silas spent hours studying for his test, but he spent that time memorizing facts rather than building a deep understanding. He would have earned a higher grade had he invested the same amount of time mastering the fundamentals, identifying essential themes, attaching each idea to that core structure, and finally, imagining what surrounds or extends the material he was studying. Instead, Silas's strategy was like a well-intentioned elementary school student who meticulously memorizes the mechanics of adding two-digit numbers, but has no idea why the process works, and as a result, adding three-digit numbers is as alien as visiting another planet. Silas's understanding was, at best, thin and fragile. Even tiny variations threw him, because he viewed his job as pinning down a certain number of isolated facts rather than understanding the meaning and connections of the ideas. When you learn anything, go for depth and make it rock solid. If you learn a piece of music for the piano, then instead of just memorizing finger movements, learn to hear each note and understand the structure of the piece. Ask yourself, can I play the notes of the right hand while just humming the notes of the left hand? If you study the Civil War, rather than memorizing some highlights, Lincoln was president, Lee was a general, slavery played a role, you can try to understand the background, competing forces, and evolving social values that ignited the bloody conflict. When you make political decisions, instead of focusing on a candidate's good looks and 15-second sound bites, you can objectively learn about the issues and develop your own reasoned opinions. You can understand anything better than you currently do. Setting a higher standard for yourself for what you mean by understanding can revolutionize how you perceive the world. The following steps illustrate why a deep understanding is essential to a solid foundation for future thinking and learning. 1. Understand simple things deeply. The most fundamental ideas in any subject can be understood with ever-increasing depth. Professional tennis players watch the ball. Mathematicians understand a nuanced notion of number. Successful students continue to improve their mastery of the concepts from previous chapters and courses as they move toward the more advanced material on the horizon. Successful people regularly focus on the core purpose of their business or life. True experts continually deepen their mastery of the basics. Trumpeting understanding through a noteworthy lesson. Tony Plogg is an internationally acclaimed trumpet virtuoso, composer, and teacher. A few years ago, we had the opportunity to observe him conduct a master class for accomplished soloists. During the class, each student played a portion of his or her selected virtuosic piece. They played wonderfully. Tony listened politely and always started his comments, Very good, very good. That is a challenging piece, isn't it? As expected, he proceeded to give the students advice about how the piece could be played more beautifully, giving suggestions about physical technique and musicality. No surprise. But then he shifted gears. He asked the students to play a very easy warm-up exercise that any beginning trumpet player might be given. They played the handful of simple notes, which sounded childish compared to the dramatically fast high notes from the earlier, more sophisticated pieces. After they played the simple phrase, Tony, for the first time during the lesson, picked up the trumpet. He played that same phrase, but when he played it, it was not childish. It was exquisite. Each note was a rich, delightful sound. He gave the small phrase a delicate shape, showing a flowing sense of dynamics that enabled us to hear meaning in those simple notes. The students' attempts did not come close. The contrast was astounding. The fundamental difference between the true master and the talented students clearly occurred at a far more basic level than in the intricacies of complex pieces. Tony explained that mastering an efficient, nuanced performance of simple pieces allows one to play spectacularly difficult pieces with greater control and artistry. The lesson was simple. The master teacher suggested that the advanced students focus more of their time on practicing simple pieces intensely, learning to perform them with technical efficiency and beautiful elegance. Deep work on simple, basic ideas helps to build true virtuosity 
not just in music but in everything. What is deep understanding? How can you realize when you don't know something deeply? When the advanced trumpet students played the simple phrase, they played every note and it sounded good to them. Before hearing the contrast between their renditions and the true virtuoso's performance, the students might not have realized that it was possible to play that phrase far, far better. In everything you do, refine your skills and knowledge about fundamental concepts and simple cases. Once is never enough. As you revisit fundamentals, you will find new insights. It may appear that returning to basics is a step backward and requires additional time and effort. However, by building on firm foundations, you will soon see your true abilities soar higher and faster. A way to provoke effective thinking. Master the basics. Consider a skill you want to improve or a subject area that you wish to understand better. Spend five minutes writing down specific components of the skill or subject area that are basic to that theme. Your list will be a free-flowing stream of consciousness. Now pick one of the items on your list and spend 30 minutes actively improving your mastery of it. See how working deeply on the basics makes it possible for you to hone your skill or deepen your knowledge at the higher levels you are trying to attain. Apply this exercise to other things you think you know or would like to know. Illustration a student's response in trying to understand basic economics. Step 1. A brainstorming list of components. Maximize profits, free markets, supply and demand, equilibrium of supply and demand. Note that the student's list is neither organized nor complete, which is great. Step 2. Improve understanding of equilibrium of supply and demand. First, I need to understand what the graphs of the supply and demand curves mean. The horizontal axis is the quantity, and the vertical axis is the price. So I see why the demand graph curves down to the right, and the supply graph curves up to the right. I think that equilibrium is the point of intersection of those two graphs. But if the quantity level is to the left of that intersection, then the price for demand is higher than the price for supply. I don't know what that means. Note that this student successfully identified a lack of understanding of a basic idea, namely, what the supply and demand graphs represent. He now knows what he should work on first. A firm understanding of that basic idea will allow him to progress further and faster in the future. The whole of science is merely a refinement of everyday thinking. Albert Einstein A common-sense approach leads to the core. Many of the most complicated, subtle, and profound ideas arise from looking unmercifully clearly at simple, everyday experiences. Calculus is one of the most influential concepts in history. It has fundamentally changed the way we experience life today. Everything from space exploration to plasma TVs, computers, and cell phones would not exist without calculus. And calculus is based on thinking deeply about simple, everyday motion, like an apple falling from a tree. In 1665, England suffered an epidemic of the bubonic plague. Cambridge University was closed for fear of spreading the dreaded disease, so Isaac Newton and the other students were sent home. Newton spent the next two years on his aunt's farm, during which time he formulated the fundamental ideas of calculus and the laws of physics. The famous story about Newton sitting under an apple tree when an apple fell on his head, giving him the idea of universal gravitation and calculus, may be almost literally true. Thinking about the speed of a falling apple can generate the idea of the derivative, the profound extension of the basic notion that speed equals distance divided by time. Thinking about how far the apple would fall if you knew its speed at each instant leads to the idea of the integral, the abstraction that distance equals speed multiplied by time. The grandest, most cosmic ideas, such as how the planets move, arise from thinking deeply about an apple beaning Newton on the noggin. Newton described the universe, the behavior of the sun, planets, and distant stars, using the same laws that describe everyday occurrences like apples falling from trees. The simple and familiar hold the secrets of the complex and unknown. The depth with which you master the basics influences how well you understand everything you learn after that. Today, when math teachers are asked what makes calculus so difficult to teach, most reply, my students don't know the basic mathematics that they saw in the 8th or ninth grade. One secret to mastering calculus is to truly master basic algebra. In any class, when preparing for your next exam, make sure you can earn a 100% on all the previous exams. If you can't, then you're not ready for the test looming in your future. 
Instructors should also embrace this fundamental reality and help their students have a firmer grasp of the basics that preceded the material currently being explored. To learn any subject well and to create ideas beyond those that have existed before, return to the basics repeatedly. When you look back after learning a complicated subject, the basics seem far simpler. However, those simple basics are a moving target. As you learn more, the fundamentals become at once simpler, but also subtler, deeper, more nuanced, and more meaningful. The trumpet virtuoso found limitless beauty in a simple exercise, and in turn, found deep insights into the more interesting, difficult pieces. A way to provoke effective thinking. Ask, what do you know? Do you or don't you truly know the basics? Consider a subject you think you know, or a subject you are trying to master. Open up a blank document on your computer. Without referring to any outside sources, write a detailed outline of the fundamentals of the subject. Can you write a coherent, accurate, and comprehensive description of the foundations of the subject, or does your knowledge have gaps? Do you struggle to think of core examples? Do you fail to see the overall big picture that puts the pieces together? Now compare your effort to external sources, text, internet, experts, your boss. When you discover weaknesses in your own understanding of the basics, take action. Methodically learn the fundamentals. Thoroughly understand any gap you fill in as well as its surrounding territory. Make these new insights part of your base knowledge and connect them with the parts that you already understood. Repeat this exercise regularly as you learn more advanced aspects of the subject and save your earlier attempts so that you can look back and see how far you've traveled. Every return to the basics will deepen your understanding of the entire subject. Illustration. Voting. How well do you know the candidates running for office, their records, their positions? Write a list of issues that are important to you. Then list what you believe to be the positions of the candidates on each issue, their stated opinions, their voting records, and their other actions associated with the issue. Most voters will have inaccurate or only meager knowledge, particularly for candidates they don't support. Then look up the actual records and see the differences. Fleshing out your knowledge will lead to more informed decisions, on election day and beyond. When faced with a difficult challenge, don't do it. In a speech delivered to Congress on May 25, 1961, John F. Kennedy challenged the country with the words, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal, before this decade is out, of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. On May 26th, the National Space Council didn't suit up an astronaut. Instead, their first goal was to hit the moon, literally. And just over three years later, NASA successfully smashed the Ranger 7 into the moon at an impact velocity of 5,861 miles per hour after the unmanned spacecraft transmitted over 4,000 photographs of the lunar surface. It took 15 ever-evolving iterations before the July 16, 1969 gentle moon landing and subsequent moonwalk by the crew of the Apollo 11 spacecraft. Great scientists, creative thinkers, and problem solvers do not solve hard problems head-on. When they are faced with a daunting question, they immediately and prudently admit defeat. They realize that there is no sense in wasting energy vainly grappling with complexity when, instead, they can productively grapple with simpler cases that will teach them how to deal with the complexity to come. If you can't solve a problem, then there is an easier problem you can't solve. Find it. George Polya. When the going gets tough, creative problem solvers create an easier, simpler problem that they can solve. They resolve that easier issue thoroughly and then study that simple scenario with laser focus. Those insights often point the way to a resolution of the original, difficult problem. Apply this mindset to your work. When faced with a difficult issue or challenge, do something else. Focus entirely on solving a sub-problem that you know you can successfully resolve. Be completely confident that the extraordinarily thorough work that you invest on the sub-problem will later be the guide that allows you to navigate through the complexities of the larger issue. But don't jump to that more complex step while you're at work on the sub-issue. First, just try to hit the moon. Walking on its surface is for another day. A way to provoke effective thinking. Sweat the small stuff. Consider some complex issue in your studies or life. Instead of tackling it in its entirety, find one small element of it and solve that part completely. 
understand the sub-issue and its solution backwards and forwards, understand all its connections and implications. Consider this small piece from many points of view and in great detail. Choose the sub-problem to be sufficiently small that it is possible to give it this level of attention. Only later should you consider how your efforts could help solve the larger issue. Illustration. A student's response to this exercise applied to time management. Time management is too big an issue for me, so I'll just focus on getting my homework done. That's still too big a task, so let me just focus on starting my homework. I could commit 10 minutes right after each lecture to review class notes and think about the homework assignment. Then five minutes before the next lecture, I could review the notes from the previous lecture. Great, but not always realistic. So to make it practical, when I return to my room for the night, I'll commit at least 10 minutes to review the class notes of the day and to begin the assigned homework. In fact, my problem is not just procrastination, but focus. Aha! So for those 10 minutes, I'll turn off my computer and cell phone and spend that short, uninterrupted time knowing there will be no distractions. Without text messages and emails, those 10 minutes will be qualitatively different and better than 30 minutes of interrupted time. That weird serenity will bring me to a meditation-like, focused state of mind. And looking at the homework on the day it was assigned, when it's still fresh in my mind, is better than investing the same amount of time the day before the homework is due, when I'd have to spend time just remembering what was going on. Once I've made this little 10-minute practice a daily habit, I'll revisit the larger challenge of time management. See how this exercise did its job? It brought out some important principles to be considered when facing the daunting challenge of time management. The value of uninterrupted, focused time, and the value of carving out small, regular intervals of time when they will be most effective. 2. Clear the clutter. Seek the essential. During most of history, when people thought of flight, they thought it was for the birds. And when we visualize flying birds, we see flapping wings. But, as anyone who has flown on an airplane will attest, flapping is not the essence of flight. It's the gentle curve of the top of the wing that matters. The air traveling faster over that curved top creates lift. That curve is the essential feature that generates the lift for birds and the lift for planes. Ignoring the flapping is incredibly difficult, because it's the most conspicuous, loudest, and most obvious feature of birds in flight. It required great focus to ignore the obvious flapping and find the subtle wing curve, the essence that enables us to soar. Uncover the essence. When faced with an issue that is complicated and multifaceted, attempt to isolate the essential ingredients. The essence is not the whole issue. There is a further step of understanding how the other features of the situation fit together. However, clearly identifying and isolating essential principles can guide you amid the morass. The strategy of clearing the clutter and seeking the essential involves two steps. Step 1. Identify and ignore all distracting features to isolate the essential core. Step 2. Analyze that central issue and apply those insights to the larger whole. Desperately Seeking Waldo In a series of children's picture books by Martin Hanford called Where's Waldo? Each page contains a large image completely overrun with hundreds of little cartoon figures entangled together. One of the characters is Waldo, who wears a distinctive red and white striped shirt and round glasses. Waldo would be easy to find if it were not for the hundreds of other figures on the page. Children enjoy finding Waldo amid the clutter. If the non-Waldo figures were removed, locating Waldo would be trivial and boring. The challenge comes from the clutter. If you literally clear the clutter from your desk, the remaining items are easy to find. But clearing the clutter can expose not only those things that you know are there, but can reveal the otherwise invisible essence of the situation. Many real questions are surrounded and obscured by history, context, and adornments. Within that cloud of vaguely related, interacting influences, you need to pluck out the central themes. Often you may be surprised that after you pare down a complex issue to its essentials, the essentials are much clearer and easier to face. Ignoring things is difficult. Often the peripheral clutter is blinking and clanging and trying madly to draw your attention away from what is really going on. By systematically ignoring one distraction after another, you can turn your attention to more central, often initially invisible, themes. After clearing the clutter, what remains will clarify understanding and open the door to creating new ideas. Remember, 
You may not be able to see everything, but you can certainly ignore most things. There is no abstract art. You must always start with something. Afterward, you can remove all traces of reality. Pablo Picasso Picasso's work, just plain bull. In 1945 to 1946, Pablo Picasso produced a powerful series of drawings of bulls. When you arrange his bulls in order of detail, the most detailed is a realistic drawing of a bull. All the features are there. Then, in a series of 18 drawings, Picasso step-by-step step simplifies the previous image. The shading of the hide vanishes. The details of the muscles disappear. The texture is gone. The three-dimensionality evaporates. By the 18th bull, we see a line drawing, a simple image consisting of ten curves and two ovals. But those twelve marks distill the essence of that bull, its strength and masculinity. The clutter is gone. The essence remains. This final image was the only one in the series that Picasso entitled The Bull. By systematically cutting away peripheral parts, being careful not to turn the bull into a cow, we force ourselves to appreciate what's important. A way to provoke effective thinking. Uncover one essential. Consider a subject you wish to understand and clear the clutter until you have isolated one essential ingredient. Each complicated issue has several possible core ideas. You are not seeking THE essential idea. You are seeking just one. Consider a subject and pare it down to one theme. In fact, you might perform this exercise on yourself. What do you view as essential elements of you? Isolating those elements can give a great deal of focus to life decisions. Illustration Parenting Bringing up children requires making many decisions on a daily basis. Getting advice about every scenario is impractical. Instead, identify one or two essential goals and use them to guide your actions. For example, one goal may be to raise children to become independent thinkers who take personal responsibility for life decisions. That goal would influence your decision if your children repeatedly fail to complete homework assignments. Do you embrace the easier, short-term solution of finishing their homework? Or do you take the more difficult approach of encouraging your children to learn for themselves? Having essential goals in mind makes daily decisions clearer. Whether you are a parent or not, this same perspective can help everyone – teachers, students, business people, and even politicians – make daily decisions that aim toward long-term goals, rather than toward short-term goals that may be diversions. Once you have isolated the essential, you have armed yourself with a solid center upon which to build and embellish. The core is not the whole issue but it is a lodestar that can guide you through turbulent storms and complications. What's core? What's fluff? Find what's at the center and work out from there. You can confidently center yourself. 3. See what's there. You and everyone else have prejudices. Admit it already and move forward from there. Two anonymous authors of this audiobook. We, the authors, have a passion for art but sadly our enthusiasm far exceeds our talent. Some years ago, while I, Berger, was visiting Denison University in Ohio, I met a studio art professor and thus had a chance to ask an expert about painting. I simply asked the artist, tell me one insight into painting. The artist, a bit surprised by the out-of-the-blue request, thought for several moments and then responded, shadows are the color of the sky. I didn't really believe him at first. Like most people, I thought shadows were gray or black, but if you look closely, you will see that indeed shadows in the great outdoors do have color, albeit subtle and muted. This artistic insight struck me as meaningful beyond just looking at shadows. It showed something about seeing, about seeing what is actually there rather than what seems to be there. I had seen shadows every day of my life, but I was wrong about what they really look like. Those colorful shadows gave me a whole new view of the world, a fresh perspective that transcends issues of art. Whenever you see an issue or understand a concept, be conscious of the lens through which you're viewing the subject. You should assume you're introducing bias. The challenge remains to identify and let go of that bias or the assumptions you bring and actively work to see and understand the subject anew. Whether it be physical characteristics of what you see, emotional aspects of what you feel, or conceptual underpinnings of what you understand, 
acknowledging and then letting go of bias and prejudice can lead you to see what's truly there and, often more importantly, to discover what's missing. Two Experiences from Two Art Classes Studying art can help us see the real world more clearly. Here, we recount two brief episodes about our own challenges as art history students. While an undergraduate at Pomona College, I, Starbird, found myself in the back row of a medieval art history course taught by a truly refined scholar who was very old. Students believed that the secret to her nearly infinite knowledge of Gothic cathedrals was that she was actually present when they were built. One day in class, the ancient professor showed a slide of a medieval painting and asked, Mr. Starbird, what do you see in this painting? Of course, nothing profound came to mind. The picture just seemed strange. The body parts were distorted, and the bright gold halos looked like the arches at McDonald's, which made my stomach growl. But I knew that art was supposed to have meaning, so I tried to imitate the art analysis that I had heard and replied, I think the halo of light represents the circle of life, emerging from the darkness of the primeval void, arcing into a shining glory, and descending again to the abyss of eternity. Without missing a beat, the dignified professor retorted, Cut the bull and tell us what you see. Not the reaction I expected. The second story occurred many years later when the other author, Berger, as a professor, decided to audit a popular introductory art history course at Williams College. The art professor was brilliantly theatrical and the lectures were riveting. Early in the term, the professor projected an image of a monk, his back to the viewer, standing on the shore, looking off into a blue sea and enormous sky. The professor asked the class, What do you see? The darkened auditorium was silent. We looked and looked and thought and thought as hard as possible for the hidden meaning, but came up with nothing. We must have missed it. With dramatic exasperation, she answered her own question. It's a painting of a monk. His back is to us. He is standing near the shore. There's a blue sea and enormous sky. Hmm, why didn't we see it? So as not to bias us, she posed the question without revealing the artist or title of the work. In fact, it was Caspar David Friedrich's The Monk by the Sea, 1808 to 1810. To better understand your world, consciously acknowledge what you actually see, no matter how mundane or obvious, rather than guess at what you think you are supposed to see. Saying what you actually see forces you to become conscious of what is there and also what is missing. If you see it, then say it. If you don't see it, then don't claim to see it. Being honest and accurate about what you actually know and don't know forces you to identify and fill gaps in your understanding. It is at the interface between what you actually know and what you don't yet know where true learning and growth occurs. A way to provoke effective thinking. Say it like you see it. Homework assignments, tests, and job-related assessments ask you what you know. Unfortunately, partial credit or social pressure often encourages you to pretend to know a bit more than you actually do. So in the privacy of your own room, look at assignments or possible test questions and write down the weaknesses as well as the strengths of what you know and don't know. Deliberately avoid glossing over any gaps or vagueness. Instead, boldly assert what is tepid or missing in your understanding. Now take the action of filling in the gaps. Identifying and admitting your own uncertainties is an enormous step towards solid understanding. Illustration. Communication. If you are writing an essay, read literally what you have written, not what you intended to communicate. Pretend you don't know the argument you are making and read your actual words. What's confusing and what's missing? If you think you know an idea but can't express it clearly, then this process has identified a gap or vagueness in your understanding. After admitting and addressing those weaknesses, your exposition will be clearer and more directed to the actual audience. When delivering an address or making a presentation, apply this same process of deliberately listening to the actual words you are speaking rather than what you imagine you are saying. What everybody believes is not always what's actually true. Commonly held opinions are frequently just plain false. Often we are persuaded by authority and repetition rather than by evidence and reality. This tendency to accept what surrounds us makes it difficult to separate what we really know from what we just believe we know. To illustrate this distinction, 
let's consider the downfall of gravity. Around 340 BCE, Aristotle asserted that objects fall at a rate proportional to their weight. In other words, he thought that heavier objects fall faster than lighter ones. People accepted this assertion for two reasons. A. It sounded reasonable, and B. Aristotle said it. The combination of reasonableness and authority is a recipe for entrenched bias. People accepted Aristotle's description of falling bodies for nearly 2,000 years. Finally, during the 16th and 17th centuries, people slowly moved from relying on authority to relying on evidence. As often happens in the recounting of history, the reality of incremental progress is replaced by a myth about an instant change in perspective. In this case, a myth about Galileo condenses an evolving shift in perspective into a single decisive experiment supposedly, but not actually, conducted by Galileo. As legend has it, in 1588, Galileo challenged Aristotle's theory about falling bodies by climbing up to the top of the Leaning Tower of Pisa, lugging an iron cannonball and a less weighty wooden ball of equal size. Hopefully after warning passers-by below, he simultaneously dropped both balls, and much to the surprise of many, especially the unsuspecting promenaders who did not hear the warning. The two balls crashed into the ground at the same instant, thus demonstrating that heavier bodies do not fall faster. In fact, except for air resistance, bodies fall at the same rate regardless of their weight. The real myth, then and now, is that people would instantly rely on evidence rather than authority. How can people, for thousands of years, believe false assertions that are easily disproved? Answer, individuals tend to accept ideas if people they know or respect state or believe those ideas. You need to be very clear about the foundations of your opinions. If you believe something only because another person, even a professor, told you it was so, then you should not view your understanding as rock solid. The Galileo story illustrates the healthy attitude that evidence settles a question no matter who says the opposite. Search for evidence and don't be satisfied until you know the why. It's not what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you do know that ain't so. Will Rogers. Or Mark Twain. Or someone else. How do you know? Becoming aware of the basis of your opinions or beliefs is an important step toward understanding yourself and your world better. Regularly consider your opinions, beliefs, and knowledge and subject them to the how-do-I-know test. What is the evidence that your understanding is based upon? Become aware of the sources of your opinions. If your sources are shaky, then you might want to be more open-minded to the possibility that your opinion or knowledge might be incorrect. Regularly find cases in which you need to rethink your views. Opening our minds to counterintuitive ideas can be the key to discovering novel solutions and building deeper understanding. But how can we take advantage of those opportunities? Certainly we are not intentionally closed-minded. So how can we break free of our unintended closed-mindedness and see the world with less bias? First, we can simply try out alternative ideas hypothetically and temporarily. In other words, don't say, okay, I'll change my opinions on healthcare right now. Instead, say, for the next day, or even the next 20 minutes, I'll pretend my opinions are the opposite of what I normally believe, even though I know it's nonsense, and see where those new beliefs take me. This strategy allows you to explore ideas without having to overcome deeply ingrained moral or institutional prejudices. Even following ideas that you know are wrong can be illuminating. Because in following the consequences of those wrong ideas, you might be led to better understand why your original belief is indeed correct, or you might be led to new and unexpected insights that run counter to your original beliefs. The 20th century physicist Niels Bohr used this process while trying to understand quantum mechanics. Quantum mechanics is a bizarre description of fundamental particles in physics. Its assertions about the nature of nature are strange and run counter to our intuition about the universe. So in trying to decide whether quantum mechanics might be a correct description of our physical world, Bohr instituted a practice at the Institute for Advanced Study of spending one day assuming that quantum mechanics was true and following the implications of that perspective, and then spending the next day assuming that quantum mechanics was false and following the consequences of that view. By alternating his views, he was able to explore each alternative more objectively. Incidentally, he eventually decided that quantum mechanics was a better description than the alternative theory of the day. 
a way to provoke effective thinking. Try on alternatives and size up the fit. Take some opinion that you hold that other people, those who clearly are wrong, do not hold. Every other hour, accept your own current opinion and think about its implications. And on the alternate hours, accept the alternative opinion and see where that leads. Try not to be judgmental. Don't resist the alternative views. You are not committing to any change. This exercise has the goal of understanding alternatives more realistically. As a result, you might change an opinion, but more likely you will simply have a better understanding of why the alternative views make sense to others. If an hour is too long a time period, try the challenge in 15-minute intervals. Illustration. Sit next to the other side. Attend a meeting or dinner sponsored by a group that has a point of view different from your own. If you're a student and a Republican, attend a Young Democrats Club event. If you're an atheist, attend a Christian fellowship meeting. You might feel a bit uncomfortable at first, but avoid having your mind instantly think of refutations. Instead, listen and try to empathize and see a new point of view, and perhaps make a new connection. 4. See what's missing. Forcing yourself to see what's actually in front of you, rather than what you believe you should see, is a difficult task. However, an even greater challenge is to see what's missing. One of the most profound ways to see the world more clearly is to look deliberately for the gaps, the negative space, as it is called in the art world. That is, the space surrounding the objects or issues of interest. In our daily and intellectual experiences, there are gaps of many sorts. If you're studying some body of material, ask yourself to identify those concepts that you truly do not fully understand. Those concepts may, in fact, be from previous courses of study or ideas that you were supposed to have mastered in an earlier class or at an earlier point in your life. Don't despair. Honestly admitting those gaps in knowledge and understanding is the first important step in attempting to fill them. Of course, a harder question is, how can you see what's truly invisible? Add the adjective and uncover the gaps. Let's return to a time in which photographs were not in living color. During that period, people referred to pictures as photographs rather than black and white photographs as we do today. The possibility of color did not exist, so it was unnecessary to inject the adjective black and white. However, suppose we did include the phrase black and white before the existence of color photography. By highlighting that reality, we become conscious of current limitations and thus open our minds to new possibilities and potential opportunities. World War I was only given that name after we were deeply embattled in World War II. Before that horrific period of the 1940s, World War I was simply called the Great War, or even worse, the War to End All Wars. What if we had called it World War I back in 1918? Such a moniker might have made the possibility of a second worldwide conflict a greater reality for governments and individuals, and perhaps led to better international policy decisions. We become conscious of issues when we explicitly identify and articulate them. In 1937, Sylvan Goldman, a small grocery store owner, wanted to better understand his shoppers. In describing the buying ability of a customer, he must have come up with something such as, it is limited to what that person can carry. Armed with this insight and his desire to allow his customers to buy more, Mr. Goldman took some wooden folding chairs, affixed wheels to their legs, and a basket to their seats. Goldman invented the shopping cart. Not only did the cash start rolling in, but it also led the way for department, retail, electronic, and home improvement stores of the future to move lots and lots of merchandise. By just describing what was there, he was led to see the invisible. A way to provoke effective thinking. See the invisible. Select your own object, issue, or topic of study and attach an adjective or descriptive phrase, such as the first for the World War, that points out some reality of the situation, ideally some feature that is limiting or taken for granted. Then consider whether your phrase suggests new possibilities or opportunities. It might be helpful to consider this exercise as a word association game. For example, if you are a student, you could consider a word such as semester, and then list the first few adjectives that come to mind, for example, busy, boring, tiring, exciting, etc. Use your newfound adjectives to create interesting and provocative insights that otherwise might have gone unnoticed. Illustration and Education 
Caroline was contemplating the issues of education and decided to apply the include the adjective exercise. She quickly described the current educational system as non-individualized education. That designation immediately made her wonder about the extent to which education could, perhaps in the future, be tailored to individual differences in learning styles, in what each individual knows, in goals for education, and so forth. These thoughts were all inspired by just her description of how we teach today. Five, final thoughts: deeper is better. Understand deeply is great advice, but what does it really mean? The truth is that most of us never understand anything deeply. After not doing well on a test, students often tell us, "I knew it, but I couldn't explain it." To which we respond, "If you can't explain it, you don't know it." Understanding simple things deeply means mastering the fundamental principles, ideas, and methods that then create a solid foundation on which you can build. Seeking the essential creates the core or skeleton that supports your understanding. Seeing what's actually there without prejudice lets you develop a less biased understanding of your world, and seeing what's missing helps you to identify the limits of your knowledge, to reveal new possibilities, and to create new solutions to complex problems. From the physical world to society, academics, personal relations, business, abstract ideas, and even sports, a deep examination of the simple and familiar is a potent first step for learning, thinking, creating, and problem solving. Perhaps the simplest metaphor for seeing the world more deeply is not metaphorical at all, but literally to look at the familiar world under magnification. When we focus a magnifying glass and then a microscope on ordinary objects. We suddenly see not only new worlds, but also explanations and organizing principles for our original macroscopic world. In fact, we associate understanding with the element Earth, because when we attain a rich understanding, we are literally standing upon rock-solid, firm ground. Earth is that which is under where we stand. When you look at your familiar world with unaccustomed depth and clarity, your own world will open up to show richness, structure. And meaning that you never saw before. Among the goals of this audiobook are to describe how you can construct original ideas, how you can solve old problems, and how you can create new worlds. Here we are advocating a process that starts with your most comfortable surroundings, your most familiar territory, the basics that you know best, and encourages you to search deeply for features that you don't ordinarily perceive. This strategy opens your mind to success in everything from conquering calculus and producing provocative papers to everything beyond. What you know most about in this world are the familiar objects, actions, and ideas that make up the vast majority of your life experience. But what you don't do regularly is examine those common features of your life with a probing mind. You can intentionally look at familiar objects, actions, ideas, and experiences unusually deeply. And when you do, what worlds you will discover? The familiar is full of unseen depth and wonder. Clear away the distractions, see what's actually there, and make the invisible visible. Fire. Two, igniting insights through mistakes. Fail to succeed. Success is the ability to go from one failure to another with no loss of enthusiasm. Winston Churchill. Back in the 1970s, three young guys, one being a college dropout, saw a chance to make it big. They put the rubber to the road and created a company that would efficiently analyze automobile traffic data collected from pneumatic road tube counters, and gave their new venture the catchy company name Trafo Data. How could it fail? Although they produced some fine hardware and software, they ended up generating just a few thousand dollars in revenue and quickly admitted defeat and closed the fledgling business. It was a failure, but through that failed enterprise, those techno geeks gained considerable and profound insights into computing machines and their true potential. Two of those founders took what they learned from their failed attempt and launched another startup company. This time, with the catchy name Microsoft, Paul Allen and Bill Gates are poster boys for the power of exploiting failure and allowing mistakes to lead the way. Fail is not an obscene word. In our society, fail is viewed as another offensive four-letter word beginning with F. 
The typical attitude that mistakes should be avoided is patently wrong and has several detrimental consequences. The mindset that mistakes are poisonous often freezes us into inaction. If we have the healthier attitude that failure is a potent teacher and a scheduled stop along the road to success, then we find ourselves liberated to move forward sooner because mistakes are actions we definitely can take at any time. If you're stuck, a mistake can be just the thing to unstick you. Any creative accomplishment evolves out of lessons learned from a long succession of missteps. Failure is a critical element of effective learning, teaching, and creative problem solving. Mistakes direct our attention in productive ways by forcing us to focus on the specific task of determining why the attempted hand failed. Effective failure is an important, positive, and as in the case of Microsoft, lucrative, step toward success. Viewing failure as an opportunity